We are collectively members of something called the Compass Rose Society, a, a group that supports the mission of the Archbishop of Canterbury through various mechanisms of the Anglican Communion. And, and uh, there was a meeting of the board and this body last week in England. And the reason I bring that up is that I was in England as Georgia executed a prisoner and Troy Davis. And it was really interesting because once they figured out because I told people I'm from Atlanta, once they figured out that was in Georgia, that led to a certain amount of conversation. Uh, it, and it was interesting, the, the press in England, as you may or may not know, is, is still pretty vital and still pretty vibrant, and it covers the spectrum politically. And without exception, they addressed this uh, killing of, of, uh, of, this, of this prisoner with great concern, the more sober press recognized there'd been a lot of due process and so on, but, but overall saying, what kind of people are we? What kind of country can it be that, that does this? Uh, they recognized uh, also the judge that said that there was much smoke and mirrors in, in many of the things that caused reasonable doubt in the public court of public opinion. They recognized the real pain and loss of Officer McPhail's family. These are the more temperate uh, newspapers. But overall, there was this question of what kind of people are we? Some of them uh, connected what was happening with uh, Governor Perry's intemperate remarks about his sleep habits in relation to capital punishment. And generally, the whole thing was just difficult. I was not proud. I was not proud. I don't think that's the kind of people that we are that raise those questions about us. Now, in days and weeks to come, every one of us will face, at some level or other, often seemingly really unimportant or trivial levels, we're going to face and make moral decisions. And so we're going to face and make spiritual decisions. They may not have the attendant publicity or scrutiny of the kind that the judges and members of the Georgia Board of Paroles and Pardons have endured this past week, but we will have to make judgments and sometimes they're going to have enormous consequences for others. And sometimes they're going to only have enormous consequences for us and for our souls. Um, and, and they're going to be complicated very often. And they're going to cause pain very often. And over and over, we're going to have to ask ourselves, what is the right thing to do in this or that situation? When we're confronted with a disobedient child, what is the right thing to do? A street person asking for money. How do you respond? That's a moral choice, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. Or for that matter, our parish aren't asking for a financial commitment. You know what to do about that. Yeah. <laughs> What's the right thing to do when you have an employee taking advantage of the system? Or when you're trying to decide whether you should confer with your partner about an attractive purchase before you make it? Or something as simple as whether you're going to have a second helping of ice cream when you've been trying to lose weight. You get the idea. We're faced with all kinds of decisions all the time that in one way or another become moral decisions, become spiritual decisions, because ultimately they tell us something about how we value ourselves and who we perceive ourselves to be and the kind of people we are and what we consider to be just. So the degree we've sorted out justice for ourselves and what that means is the degree to which our, our uh, decisions are going to be fairly straightforward. Now, I, for one, am not persuaded that motives such as revenge or recompense constitute justice. 
And so while I recognize the social contract by which I agree to the process by which we formulate laws, I personally continue to resist laws that seem to be about revenge or about recompense as fundamental to justice. I was extremely uncomfortable. I am still extremely uncomfortable with our president's announcement after Osama bin Laden was killed that justice has been done. It was a lot of things I support that death, such as necessity in a war or a form of self-defense or so on. But killing is not in accord with the ultimate purposes of God. We know that. And so to say it's just just doesn't quite get it right for me, although for many, recompense and revenge is part of justice. That was apparently part of Officer McPhail's family's feeling, that justice had to be done with his death. Doing the right thing is rarely a simple matter, rarely, certainly rarely as simple as just obeying the rules. Most of the time, we have to make a moral calculation in a broken world, and the rules are going to serve as a guide. Obviously, there, there are and should be a consequence when we break the law. But I'm talking about those times when, when what is legal is not necessarily right and what is right is not necessarily addressed by the law. Some of you will have heard of Michael Sandel, or Sandel, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's an immensely um, popular professor of philosophy at Harvard and has written an immensely readable book called Justice, and it has a telling subtitle. It's, it's What's the Right Thing to Do? And at the risk of oversimplifying, he sees the main principles of justice over the history revolve around three basic ideas. One is the idea of maximizing the welfare, the good of the whole people. Um, one is uh, connecting justice with freedom and how we increase freedom. And there, is, there are deep arguments within people who, who believe freedom and justice are connected. So the free market people believe that the market must be left so that there's extreme libertarianism. And others say, no, no, the market is itself not just and so must be managed. But both are actually talking about justice and respect to freedom. And then the third school, in some ways the classical school, is the school that talks about justice as virtue, an end in itself uh, for the fullness of life. Sandel doesn't confront capital punishment directly, but we can see how all of these ideas of justice come into play in our societal debate about it. So one person says, the world is better off with the murderer dead. That's the welfare argument. And one person says, with the murderer dead, the rest of society need not live in fear of him, and we can sleep better at night. That's the freedom argument, funnily enough. And in a virtuous society... Um, this kind of society that sees life as in it looks at what, 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 what is an end in itself, perhaps life, sees there being no room for the killing of prisoners and saying that justice requires a different response from what is fundamentally utilitarian. Justice is not fundamentally about something else working out. It's about something value of itself. Ezekiel and Jesus, hang with me here, right? <laughs> Long way from Harvard, but Ezekiel and Jesus both point us toward this last sense of justice. Justice as virtue, justice as character, justice as an end in itself uh, when we're determining what is the right thing to do, when we're making decisions that affect our spirit and our identity as an individual and as a society. Ezekiel is sorting out and overturning an ancient idea that the innocent suffer the guilty. That's what my first headmaster used to say when the whole class was being punished for some infraction that I had done. That was, 
and, and, and the Israelites get pretty upset about this. You know, why should it be punishment generation after generation? Um, and he's saying, wait a minute, it's, it's not that. There's, there's, let's just talk about you and your response and you being a responsible agent. He's saying everyone is a responsible agent. Every one of us, responsible agent before God, able to choose life or death because everyone is a beloved creature of God who takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. And more than that, God requires that we remember what really matters and turn and repent and choose and turn and repent and choose and live. Jesus, something similar, dodges a debate with the chief priests and elders about authority, who has power, who does not to define right or wrong, and instead tells a story that makes clear it's not our intentions that make us good, but our actions. You're aware of the old adage that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. What you did was really wrong, but I meant to do good, you know, so I'm okay. You see how that, how that works? And then he tells, tells this story and says, but it's not just any actions that constitute the right thing to do. It's actions that contribute to the way of righteousness, the actions that contribute to right relationship, actions that recognize that a human being is an end in itself, or to put it another way, actions that come from something that seems self-authenticating, just seems to be right, sort of like the preaching of John. It made sense in its own way. And people say the same thing about Jesus. His authority in the end was self-authenticating. You heard Jesus, and it rings true, and it calls us to be better than we are, and it's all about love. All about building up all about the kind of spiritual choices that sometimes mean we have to carry pain, but in the end are about love. And so how does this kind of sense of justice, this sense of character, this sense of our own self-identity make a difference in the day-to-day choices we'll make this week? It might mean that however we respond to that disobedient child, that we treat him or her with the same seriousness age-appropriate, but same seriousness that we expect him or her to treat us. And that rules out corporal punishment. Acting for right relationship when a street person asks for money might mean not expecting gratitude if we give them something, and perhaps looking in the eye if we say no, if we're going to say no, and then hearing something we don't want to hear. You're supposed to give me money. You're rich. And suspending judgment on them and their circumstances, we recognize that we're the ones with power in that exchange. So look them in the eye. Clearly doing the right thing when your parish asks for a financial commitment is to say yes with alacrity and generosity. <laughs> and thank you to those of you who've done so. But righteousness means, actually, that uh, I'm being flip in a way. Righteousness means that you might end up taking a look at all of your priorities and where money creates anxiety for you and how it affects your choices and decisions and how living into the gospel might mean shifting them around and actually discovering that is in fact in giving that we receive and discovering some of the freedom and the hope and the promise and the joy that we talk about here week after week. That's discovery is incidental to a choice that's right in itself. With our challenging employee, right relationship might mean giving notice and then helping that person find somewhere else. 
something more suited to his or her skills, but it might just mean simply having a conversation that you've just been putting off having, which you don't want to have because it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and you don't quite know if you're right, but you know something's got to be done and there's no process that's going to substitute something, a decision that makes for relationship, however difficult and hard that may be. That decision about ice cream, second helping, it's, it's about your own worth, your own value, your own dignity, the witness you bear, the kind of person you want to present to the world. You get the idea. A moral choice can be big or little. It's a spiritual choice. When seeking to do the right thing, beware of the righteousness of reasons and rules and rationales and justifications and arguments and anything else that looks and smells as though we're justifying our choice in order to bring about some other good, such as our own satisfaction. And beware those things, especially when we have the power. Instead, trust the way that seems the most obviously to do with love, even if it's not the most palatable choice on the face of it. When you intuit the way of righteousness, then be like the tax collectors, and yes, be like the prostitutes, and change your mind, and turn and repent, and believe, and choose life, and you will not be far from the kingdom of God. What choices are coming up for you this week? Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.